Praise God. We'll turn to our master text in Isaiah 53 today. Isaiah chapter 53. As we look at um, the second installment of God's word on healing. And as you're turning there, um, I just want to say that in this teaching today, we're going to take a deep dive into the word of God. So I'm going to share a lot of scripture with you today. So I hope you're awake and alert uh, because uh, your brain and your spirit need to be attuned to what's going on right now so that you can get all this. Now, this may not be a spine-tingling teaching for you today because I'm just still laying some groundwork uh, so that we can understand this better and, and build up our faith for healing. So uh, forgive me if this seems like a purely academic approach to the Word of God, but we've got to tear out the faulty foundation first so that we can build back with the firm foundation of sound doctrine. So I hope you're with me on that. Now, um, we'll read our master text here in just a second, but uh, let me say that in last week's teaching, and also this one today, may seem a little elementary for some of you that have been exposed to a lot of teachings on healing. But if you haven't been exposed to a lot of teachings on healing, we have to start at square one and uh, walk before we can run. So I hope you're with me on that. So go ahead and stand up, and let's honor the reading of God's holy word. And uh, this is just real short today, Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, which says this of Jesus, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds or your version may say stripes, we are healed. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Praise God. All right. Now, I want to really mine out our master text this morning. So let's take a look at this same passage in another couple of translations. So I have the King James up on the screen for you. I want to read through that for you real quick here. Just uh, want to look at this from a couple of different translations, really get this on our hearts. So surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now, some may point out that the, the healing that it's talking about there is the spiritual healing that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. And that's definitely true. But I'm going to show you how it goes beyond that. So let's start by looking at some key words in this passage. So if you look up on the screen, that word that's been translated into the English there is the word koli uh, in the Hebrew, and it literally means sickness. That's what it means. That word koli that's been translated into, into Greece, it means sickness. And the word sorrows is the Hebrew word makab, and it means uh, pain and refers to both physical and mental pain. And then that, there's that word healed, which is the Hebrew word rafa, which means to cure, repair, heal, and to make thoroughly whole. To make thoroughly whole. So did you know that when you made Jesus your Lord, that you were made to be thoroughly whole? Did you know that? See, you and I are thoroughly whole spiritually right now. 
You and I are made spiritually whole right now. But the way was made for us to be physically and mentally, emotionally whole as well. So when people um, believe that this passage is referring only to spiritual healing, well, folks, that's not what the ancient languages imply. In fact, I've only seen a few English translations of the Bible that translate this correctly. And one of them was the, is the Holman Christian Standard Bible. So let's look at that real quick. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. That's the correct translation. That's how it's supposed to be translated. Don't ask me why some of these other English translations don't get that right. Um, I know that there's been some discoveries with the Dead Sea Scrolls and other discoveries that bring more illumination upon the ancient languages and how they are to be properly, um, properly tra- uh, translated into English. But that's the correct translation right there. Uh, yet he himself bore our sicknesses and carried our pains. Now, let's connect this to the New Testament and see if we can see this even more clearly. All right, so in Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, it says, When evening was come, they brought unto him, Jesus, many that were possessed by devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word. How many of you know that devils and demons are real? Did you know that? Okay. And he cast the spirits out with his word and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah, the prophet, Isaiah, saying, he himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. So Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would come and provide spiritual and physical healing. Now, I want to introduce you to a word that appears in the New Testament. Um, It's the word for salvation um, uh, that we've translated into salvation in English. And I'm going to show you how salvation, as we know it, is even better than you thought. Okay, so that word uh, salvation was translated from the Greek into a word known as sozo. And that's the Greek word for salvation, save, or saved. All right, it's used over a hundred times in the New Testament, 38 of those times referring to specifically the forgiveness of sins. So let me give you an example of that. In 1 Corinthians 1.21, it says, Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he used our foolish preaching to save, that's the word sozo, those who believe. And that's talking about spiritual salvation. Okay, but the root meaning of sozo goes far beyond the forgiveness of sins because according to the Strong's Concordance, Sozo also carries the idea of being physically healed of diseases and delivered from our enemy. And of course, our enemy is Satan and his demons. All the stuff that he wants to do to us, we've been delivered from those if we know how to appropriate the authority of Christ. Salvation then must mean more than just being saved to go to heaven when you die, as vitally important as that is, and I don't want to minimize that, that's so important, but it means more than that, okay? Um, See, to be biblically saved means there are also earthly benefits for us as well. So not only are we free from the, the judgment and the wrath of God, folks, salvation also includes 
the ability to resist temptations to sin in your pursuit of Christ-likeness. So, yes, when you got saved, the Holy Spirit became your constant companion. And His presence uh, means that we've been empowered to overcome sin when you were a slave to it before. Well, why do I still sin then? Well, it's because we still have a sin nature. And look, uh, if you don't sow to your spirit by feeding it the Word of God, good, solid preaching, prayer, fasting, worship, etc., on a regular basis, and if you instead just continue to, to feed your mind the junk of the world, folks, you're going to be carnal. No way around it. That's why I harp so much on being careful about what you put into your mind, through the eye gate and the ear gate, through uh, you know, TV and, and music and internet, etc. See, if you just feed your mind on trash music and trash TV, like, what's that one horrible sitcom that's out now, Modern Family, something like that? If you just continue to feed your mind on that kind of stuff, on that trashy stuff, uh, folks, you're going to be carnal. You're going to think trashy and act trashy as a result because that's what your spirit, your mind is feeding on. So in Proverbs 4.23, you've heard me um, quote this before. To, uh, it says, to guard your heart, for out of it flow the wellspring of life. What's that mean? It means guard what you put into your heart through your eyes and your ears because out of it flows the wellspring of life. It's going to affect everything that you do. And see, if you're carnal, even as a Christian, if you're carnal, it's more difficult to have faith for healing or anything else for that matter. So again, salvation gives you a new nature that convicts you when you sin. And when, when before salvation... You didn't care. Or if you did, you pushed those thoughts aside. Um, the fact that you can't sin now without it bothering your conscience is a really, really good sign that the Holy Spirit is in you and working in you. Okay? That's a really good sign. Praise God. Now, um, this word sozo is also used in the New Testament for physical healing as well. So let me give you an example of that one. Matthew 5, 23. He pleaded earnestly with him. This was a person pleading with Jesus for healing of his daughter. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed, sozo, and live. So that word used there, that word salvation, that, that's been translated so often into salvation, save or save, also has an application to healing. It means healing as well. Okay? So please come and put your hands on her so that she will be sozo and live, healed. Okay? Also, uh, it's also used in reference to deliverance from demons. Deliverance from demons. So let me give you an example of that. Luke 8, 36. Those who had seen what happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been sozo, healed. So sozo means all these different things. It's not just in relation to the forgiveness of sins. See, folks, on the point here on Luke 8.36, sometimes physical ailments can be a result of demonic oppression. Did you know that? 
The woman who had been bent over for 38 years that Jesus healed had been bound by Satan, according to what Jesus said about her. Therefore, it's clear that sozo includes deliverance from demonic oppression as well. Praise God. Now, what happened to Bill Cowan a couple of weeks ago when he got delivered from demonic oppression is a result of sozo working in Bill's life. Praise God. And let me just say something about that real quick. I don't, you know, if you've not really been taught much about the activ- activity of demons and how they manifest and how to recognize them, that kind of stuff may be a little bit weird for you. But, folks, the demons are all through the Bible. Jesus cast them out all the time. Okay? That was part of his MO, dealing with demons. So, you know, don't let that kind of talk make you uncomfortable. As, as, as a matter of fact, as the darkness gets darker, I think we're going to see more manifestations of them. And that's why we need to be equipped to know how to handle those types of things. So, again, a closer look at this important word, sozo, was, was, uh, and how it was translated, makes it clear, very clear, that our salvation includes much more than the forgiveness of sins. Now, listen, if, it, if salvation was just that... It would be so wonderful all by itself. But God is so good. He provides a package deal, folks. A package deal so that we can be benefited in this life as well as the life to come. And there's actually a scripture that alludes to that. 1 Timothy 4.8 says that exercise is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, both in this life and the life to come. Godliness benefits in this life. Sozo benefits us in this life. Now, I want to give you another couple of examples how sozo is used in the New Testament to mean something other than just spiritual healing. James 5.15 says, And the prayer of faith will save, sozo, the sick. Okay, so it's talking about healing there. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Here's another one, Luke 6, 9. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil? This is Jesus talking. To save, sozo, to save life or to destroy it. And he's talking about healing. In the context of this, the, um, the Pharisees were giving him a hard time for, quote, working on the Sabbath because he was healing people. And that was his response. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? And he used the word sozo in response to healing because that's what he was doing. Okay? So it appears as though, once again, that salvation is a package deal. It means salvation, spirit, soul, and body. See, it means spirit, soul, and body if we can believe it. Okay, remember, everything that we get in the kingdom is acquired by faith. Everything that we get in the kingdom is acquired by faith. You got saved by faith, and you get everything else the same way. The same way. So if you're dealing with something in your body right now, something with your health or your character or your emotions that don't represent what we see here in this sozo salvation, well, all that means is there's probably something that you don't know yet. And folks, that's, that's fixable. That's fixable. That's just called ignorance. Ignorance isn't a bad word. It just means you don't know something yet. Okay, so 
Get in this right here. Find out what your promises are. Praise God. Now, while this emphasis on uh, the broader meaning of sozo is very important, it doesn't stop there. Like that old Ronco commercial used to say, and that's not all. <laughs> okay? It doesn't stop there. You remember those commercials, you guys that are my age and older? There's other commercials out there that say that same thing, and that's not all. Okay, so listen, did Jesus come to, um, to preach the kingdom of God as it relates to salvation of the soul only, or did he offer up some physical healing along with it? See, Jesus used healing, folks, as the dinner bell of the gospel. The dinner bell of the gospel. Acts 10.38 says that Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. That's what he did. That was part of his mission. The Bible also says that, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. If anyone ever asks you the question, why did Jesus come? A lot of people would say, well, he came to die on the cross for our sins. That's true. But it's so much broader than that. Because in that three and a half years, he went around doing good and delivering all who were under the power of the devil. He came to destroy the works of the devil in 1 John 3 8. So if he came to destroy the works of the devil and he healed all who were under the power of the devil, then that implies, once again, that sickness is not from God, it's from Satan. Otherwise, if he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, he'd just be fighting against himself if God ordained sickness. Satan ordained sickness, and Jesus came to heal all those who were under the power of the devil. Now, look at the screen for a moment. I'm going to show you this uh, life expectancy timeline and talk about this here in a moment. Uh, for, but first of all, I want to say that if Jesus tarries, folks, all of us are going to die. If Jesus tarries, all of us are going to die. None of us gets out of this alive. The ultimate statistic is still true. Ten out of ten people die. It's the ultimate medical statistic. But I believe the quality of life that God has in mind for us is quite a bit different than what most people have been conditioned to expect. See, the, the, this, human, um, this human life expectancy timeline that you see on the screen right here is what we've been conditioned to expect out of life and what we've seen most people experience. So starting in uh, you know, between 40 and 50 years of age and sometimes even earlier than that, uh, people start to experience mild to moderate health issues and declining energy. By the time most people hit 50 and, and, and that, that next decade of life, there begins to be significant health issues. And then from 60 to 70, very poor quality of life. And 70 to 80, just waiting around to die. Most people, just waiting around to die. And folks, listen, at some point, at some point something is going to take us out. That's true. But is the aging process really supposed to be marked with such discomfort and disease? Is there something different that we can expect? Well, look at the screen. I want to give you a different timeline. 
In this modified timeline, we can see that some, there's, there's some decline with age, but it's not the horribly uncomfortable kind that leaves a person riddled with dysfunction and disease and unable to enjoy life and be productive. Well, using the Bible as our guide, which we always do, is there any biblical precedent for what I just said? Yes, there is. Deuteronomy 34.7 says of Moses, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. Another version says, nor were his natural forces abated. And here's another one. Out of Joshua 14.10 and 11 says of Caleb, and this is Caleb actually speaking, he says, so here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. How long ago was the then he was talking about? 45 years earlier. When he, he's, and he's 85 now. So yes, there is a biblical precedent for that timeline that I'm, that I'm showing you on the screen there. Now, some people would say, well, Andy, you're using examples of people that lived about 4,000 years ago when people were still living a long time. Ah, not so fast. Not so fast. You've got to read the Bible, folks. By this time in mankind's history, uh, lifespans were already trimmed down to something similar to what we're experiencing today. After Noah's flood, the lifespan began to decrease dramatically and very quickly. In fact, it was that time that God said that his soul would not contend with man forever, so he reduced the lifespan down to about 120 years. And then Psalm 90, verse 10, goes on to say that man's life expectancy is about 70 years old and 80 if we're strong. So here we see Caleb, a man of 85 years old, being as vigorous as he was 45 years earlier, strong enough to go out to battle. That's how I want to age. Praise God. And then the Bible says of Caleb, you got to get this, the Bible says of Caleb in Numbers 14.24 that he had a different spirit. What kind of spirit? A spirit of faith. A spirit of faith. You see, he and Joshua were the only two people out of all of Israel at that time who had enough faith to say, let's go into the promised land and take out those pagan giants. See, everyone else cried and wailed when they learned that there were powerful people in the land. But that spirit of faith that Joshua and Caleb had not only allowed them to fulfill God's purpose for the nation, but it also kept their bodies healthy and strong well into their elderly years. Praise God. That's what a spirit of faith can do for you. Now, please understand that I'm not saying that you'll never have to stand in faith against a sickness or something that attacks your body. You know, sometimes even people of faith do have physical issues that they, they deal with in this broken world. That's true. But let's look at a wonderful promise in the Word of God that we can use if we have something that happens to attack our body. So in Psalm 41, verses 1 through 3, it says this, "'Blessed is the one who cares for the, for the poor.'" The Lord will deliver him in the day of trouble. So by the way, it starts out with a condition. If you're not already generous to the poor, this verse doesn't apply to you. So that's just a little side note. That's for free. If you're not already generous to the poor, this says you can't claim this. 
So start getting generous to the poor right now so that when you see promises like this, you can claim it because there's a, condi a condition on this, all right? Let's read it from the top. Blessed is the one who cares for the poor. The Lord will deliver him in the day of trouble. The Lord will protect and preserve him. He will bless him in the land and refuse to surrender him to the will of his foes. Who's one of your foes? Satan is. He wants to take you out. He wants to take you out. And he's tried it with a lot of you. And actually, he's tried it with all of us. Listen, let me just pause right here before we read the rest of this. The reason you're still here right now, because Satan has tried to take you out numerous times. You probably don't even know many of the times that Satan has tried to take you out because God saved you. The, the reason that, that you're still here right now, serving the Lord and sitting in this, these seats, breathing fine and doing fine for the most part, most of you, the reason you're still here is that Satan has not been able to pull it off. Because if you didn't have the protection of, of God overshadowing you, Satan would have taken you out in your mother's womb. He would have. When, when I was born, I had a deviated uh, trachea, and I couldn't breathe. I was turning blue, and they didn't know why. And it, it was like almost a panicky situation because I couldn't breathe. Satan tried to take me out when I was born, okay? And um, God intervened, and I'm fine today. I can sing. <laughs> My trachea is fine. Okay? Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. He's tried, on, he's tried on at least three other occasions to kill me that I know about, and he failed every time. So... Um, God has his hand on you. The reason that you're still here, still doing well, Satan hates you, wants to take you out, but he's not been able to pull it off, taking you out. Because God's hand is on your life. Praise God. Um, so again, let me go ahead and continue reading this passage. So let's start from the beginning. Blessed is the one who cares for the poor. The Lord will deliver him in the day of trouble. The Lord will protect and preserve him. He will bless him in the land and refuse to surrender him to the will of his foes. The Lord will sustain him on his bed of illness. There it is. And restore him from his bed of sickness. So listen, if you're a person who's, who's generous to the poor... You can claim that right there. If you have something attack your body, you can look at that passage right there. Claim that and say, Lord, you know I'm generous to the poor. And your word says, Lord, he, you're not a man that you should lie, the word says. Your word says, Lord, that you will sustain me on my bed of illness and restore me from my bed of sickness. That's a promise. Claim it. Claim it. You, you know, the Bible says, the Lord said in the word of God, he said, put me in remembrance of my promises. That's what he said. Why? Because God's got a bad memory? No, because you do. We do, don't we? Put me in remembrance of my promises. In other words, speak it out to him. Lord, you said. You said. He's okay with that. You said, Lord. So put him in remembrance because when you put him in remembrance, you put yourself in remembrance. Praise God. And that leads to another observation that I want to make here about the Apostle Paul and his thorn in the flesh, because this is something we have to deal with here. Let's read this passage from 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. A little bit of a longer passage, so bear with me here. Um, but this is where this whole thorn in the flesh thing comes from. So let's read this. 
So to keep me from being conceited, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, so to keep me from being conceited, I was giving a, given a thorn in, the, in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. That is why, for the sake of Christ, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. All right. Now, I've heard all my life that this was a physical ailment of some sort when Paul refers to his thorn. I've always heard that. And I can understand how some people could arrive at that conclusion based upon something that Paul said in a different book of the Bible, his letter to the Galatians. So let's go ahead and look at that real quick. Galatians 4, verses 13 and 15 says this, You know that it was because of an illness, or actually in the Greek it literally says weakness of the flesh, um, <clears throat> that I first preached the gospel to you. And although my illness was a trial to you, you did not despise or reject me. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. For I can testify that if it were possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. All right, let's make sense of this. So here we see the Apostle Paul, at least one time in his life, suffered an illness of some sort. Um, and, uh, but you know what? He got over it. He got over it. Uh, we don't know what it was, but it appears, based upon that passage, it appears that it was something involving the eyes. And I'll bet it was something like pink eye. Since pink eye is a bacterial infection, and bacterial infections were very common back then, even more so than today, and Paul says that this illness, whatever it was, was a trial to the Galatians. Well, why was that? Why would his illness be a trial to the Galatians? Well, if it was something like pink eye, it would have been disgusting to look at. Okay? I had pink eye once, and it's really revolting because the eye swells shut and turns pink and oozes. Okay, so if I was a betting man, I'll bet that's what it was, because how many of you know that if I was to get up here and attempt to preach to you with pink eye and my face looking like that, that would be a trial to you. (laughs) You would probably have a hard time paying attention if my face looked gnarly like that. Who has had pink eye in the congregation? A few of you. You know that when you look in the mirror, you're like, it looks horrendous, right? But again, the main point that I want to make is that even though Paul probably had a non-serious bacterial infection, he recovered because he talks about it in the past tense. So is this the thorn in the flesh that he mentions in 2 Corinthians? I think not. You see, we always have to read the Bible in proper context, folks, in proper context. Paul doesn't mention sickness here at all in this passage uh, regarding his thorn in the flesh. What does he mention? Let's look again. He mentions weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. That's what he mentions. That's the context. 
Another insight is this, you know, much of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians was for the purpose of defending his apostleship against false teachers who came in behind him teaching heresy and trying to steal his thunder. In fact, it was in this very chapter in which these verses appear that he makes mention of people that he sarcastically calls super apostles. Read it. That's what he calls them, super apostles. Those super apostles, the people that opposed him is what he was referring to, people that sowed false doctrine into the church. So his thorn in the flesh then, read in the context of this letter, wasn't an illness at all. But it was the various hardships that he experienced. And one of those hardships was that he was vexed by doing the heavy lifting of raising up these churches and discipling all the people, only to have people coming behind him when he set sail for another region to teach false doctrine to the people and steal the hearts of the people away from Paul and the true gospel. So then what's the weakness that he refers to here? Well, again, read in proper context with the rest of Paul's writing to the Corinthians, I believe that it's very clear that that weakness he refers to is the frustration of persecution and opposition to his ministry, which included false teachers being sown among the people and not being as polished of a speaker as those other so-called super apostles that had sown that false doctrine. See, earlier, if you, if you read the whole book of 2 Corinthians, and that's what we got to do when we develop our theology. We have to look at everything in the proper context. And, and earlier in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul lamented his weak presentation skills and the fact that he was unimpressive in person. You remember reading that? Okay, and, and so people's hearts were stolen away by these smooth-tongued super apostles. And I think that that may have been part of what Paul was referring to when he asked God to take it away. So I think that's part of what Paul was referring to <clears throat> when he asked God to take it away. His weak presentation skills and the fact that these super apostles, uh, so-called, were stealing his thunder. But God said no, it's in the power of that weakness that God's power is manifest, more clearly manifest. Because, see, look, no one was considering Paul so much when miracles were being performed and the word was being proclaimed in power. They knew, especially in Paul's case, because of his unimpressive appearance and his weak presentation skills, they knew that when the word was proclaimed in power with signs following, signs and wonders following, they knew that they were hearing from God. So, I want to encourage you about something. Um, do you look in the mirror and see a lot of imperfections like the Apostle Paul did? Well, next time you sigh because of what you see, just remind yourself, God's power is made perfect in my weakness. Amen. Amen. In fact, you might just encourage the person next to you and turn to them and say, I like what I see in you. Go ahead. Praise God. <laughs> All right, so then, then what's, the, what's the life application 
of all that information. How can we apply that? What's the life application of that, that information? Well, if you believed all your life that Paul's thorn in the flesh was an illness that God gave to him, that God then refused to heal when Paul asked him, then that's going to affect your faith for healing. Because in the back of your mind, you're always going to be thinking, well, maybe this is a thorn in my flesh that God has given me, and maybe I just need to learn to live with it and rely on his grace. Right? Now, listen, I definitely believe in leaning on God's grace and our weakness. But that whole idea about Paul's thorn in the flesh being a sickness that God refused to heal is totally wrong. It's not in the context. That's not what the context of this is. You have to go to a different book and try to wrench that out of context and then insert it in 2 Corinthians to make that work. And that doesn't work. You've got to ever read everything in proper context, folks. That's called, for those of you Bible, Bible scholars out there, that's called proper hermeneutics. Okay? <laughs> right, Brent? Okay. <laughs> See, Paul's thorn in the flesh, once again, was opposition to his ministry, which included false doctrine being sown among the churches. And he may have also been referring to the fact that he wasn't enough of a dynamic speaker to keep that from happening. So get rid of that whole idea. Get it out of your head that his thorn in the flesh was an illness of some sort that God wouldn't heal. That's incorrect. And just knowing that can alleviate any doubt that you might have about God's willingness to heal you. Does that make sense? Well, again, I know this was not maybe a, a scintillating teaching today because, you know, I'm just still laying some groundwork so that we can understand this better and build up our faith for healing. So I hope this was helpful. Now, I want to leave you with a, a testimony um, from someone, from Pam Hall. I'm going to ask her to come up here in a second. She's going to give a testimony, of her healing testimony. And then I'm going to give you one more promise after she's done regarding uh, healing from the Word of God. And then we'll pick this up again next week. So uh, let's do the testimony first, and then we'll close with a final scripture. So Pam, come on up. You guys are probably just sick of seeing me up here today. Oh my gosh. Pam, Pam, Pam. Um, so listen, first of all, I want to tell you, I believe in doctors and medical help. I mean, I really do. I, I've, for those of you who don't know, many of you know this. Um, I mean, I was born with a birth defect. So when I was 42, I had my hip replaced. And it was the best thing in the world. I thank God for my hip replacement, okay? But a few years ago, um, and I first... I want to thank Pastor, I want to honor and thank Pastor Andy. Um, I've been part of Blessed Life for over a decade now. And one of the things that I learned or was taught correctly under Pastor's teaching was the thorn in the, in the thorn in the thing that Paul had. Because I did grow up in a denomination that said that's why God doesn't heal some people. And so I was very liberated when I heard that teaching for the first time. And it was marvelous in my life. And I'm so grateful for that. And so because of that teaching, um, so a few years ago, um, I hurt my back. Um, we were, I don't know what I was doing, moving, I don't know. But it was very injured. I had sciatic so bad. 
um, I was miserable and I suffered with it for about a week. And I was doing um, the topicals and all of that. And, and uh, we were doing, um, we were at Pastor Raphael's church at the time. And we were doing something on a Thursday night. And I had to, and at that time I was doing worship with uh, Matt at the time. And so I had to sit during worship on a stool because my, I was just miserable. And I couldn't sleep. I was just after, after service was over, people knew I was struggling with, they didn't know what with, and, and, and well-meaning, <laughs> well-meaning people said to me, this happened two times before I left the church building, well, if you don't see a chiropractor, you're never going to get better. By, by two, and, and again, it was well-meaning because they knew I was suffering. And they were just, I think, trying to help me to, you know, you better go to a chiropractor. You'd better see a chiropractor. And so I have to tell you that <laughs> I got very angry in my spirit. Righteously angry, not at the people, but at the spirit that was behind it. And I went home and I shut my, this is a Thursday night. I went home and I shut myself in my bedroom and I had a one-sided conversation with the Lord. And I said to my Jesus, I said, I'll tell you what, you're the same Jesus that was risen from the grave. You are either the Jesus that I believe in or you're not. And I, I mean, I was just, again, it was, a, it, was a, it was just a righteous, I can't even explain it. So don't think bad of me. But I said, you can heal me. I won't be told that you cannot heal me of this. Mm. And I said, I'll tell you what, Lord. I mean, because I was bad, okay? I'm just telling him off, okay? But he loves me just the way I am. He puts up with me. And I said, I'll tell you what, Lord, if you don't heal me by Monday, fine, I'll go to a chiropractor. You ha and I said, you have until Monday to heal me. <laughs> so the next couple of days, I struggled. I did the tennis ball, lying down and lifting my feet up and all that. And I had to roll to get out of bed. But I want you to know, when I got up Sunday morning, this girl was healed. I am telling you, I got my healing. And I don't want to tell anyone, this is my testimony. It's not your testimony. You do whatever you need to do if you've got sciatic, okay? You go. But I'm just telling you that God met me in my faith that, that weekend. And I have a testimony because of it. And don't ever tell me that God can't heal us. Because I know that I know that I know that he can. Yes. Hallelujah. So. You know what that's called? It's called tenacity. And I'm going to do a teaching on <clears throat> tenacity in this series. It won't be, I can't elaborate on that right now. But you remember the, uh, the woman with the issue of blood? tenacity. She would not be denied. And that's okay to pursue the Lord like that. That's okay. Uh, the Lord can put up with your little temper tantrums. He, he can handle it. Brent, did you have something? Come here. Thank you. Um, I just 
want to stand and encourage you sitting here. You're, you're not here by accident. Tell your friends about this place. Tell your friends about the messages that are being prepared here. What we're experiencing is real. This is the real New Testament church. And we're connected through the Holy Spirit. You all know that. And the reason we're connected is because the truth of the Word of God is preached here. Please tell your friends. Please bring them here. This is the kind of teaching that sets people free and changes the world. And I just want to say, I, with my university studies, there is no university, there is no commentary that will replace a man like you who goes after God and God's word with all his heart. Praise God. And I thank Praise you. God. Praise God. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Uh, by the way, just so you know, um, I, I'm going to give this series a, a few more teachings because I'm in the process of just helping you to build up your faith right now. And then we are going to have a prayer service where we're going to lay hands on the sick and we're going to see some people recover. Uh, we, we're, we are going to see that. I'm just, I'm just prophesying by the Spirit of God right now. Um, we're laying some groundwork right now, building up your faith. We're going to see some people recover. Hey, listen, I don't even know that we ne even necessarily need all these teachings. I taught one teaching one time on the laying on of hands, and like six people got healed in here that day. Dramatic healings, as a matter of fact. So, hallelujah. God is good. So, uh, let me just close here with one last passage from Psalm 103, verses 2 through 5. And this is a nice promise for you. Not a nice promise. It's a great promise. Not a nice little fluffy promise. It's a great promise. <laughs> Praise the Lord, my soul. Forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins. Praise God. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. And crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That is a good place for a praise break, isn't it? So let me bring this to a close. I realize that I didn't give you a lot of principles today per se, but I hope I'm helping you to understand that healing is for today. And by laying this foundation, you know, I pray that your faith is being strengthened and that your heart is encouraged that God's heart toward you is that of love and compassion. And that he wants to fill your life with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Praise God. Yeah, Mark, come on up. Thank you so much. I just wanted to make a comment about one thing you said. Um, you were, you were talking about healing, and you, were, you pastor said, we received our salvation through faith that we believed and that everything else works that way. And man, I think that was the crux of the whole message. Jesus provided our salvation at the cross, but he provided our healing also. And we don't have to talk him out of it. 
He has gone way out of his way for us to be healed. So all we got to do is just open up our heart and believe, but we don't have, it's, and it's kind of like if we were saying, you know, you got to do this to save me. I mean, we're not expecting him to do something else to save us. We're, we're thinking of it as done. That's how our healing is too. Yeah. It's done. Our only, all we have to do is receive it. He isn't doing it again. He doesn't die on the cross every time we sin because it, that wasn't covered. He doesn't die on the cross every time we get sick because it wasn't covered. We're healed. We just got to receive it from him. It's just like salvation. Amen. Amen. And we're going to end to more of those kind of faith principles and some of the subsequent teachings. Um, but I just I want to say this, too, even though that we're not really going to have a, a healing service, per se, until toward the end of the series, I do want to say that, look, you can get healed sitting right where you are. I have heard, heard uh, pastors before, Keith Moore being one of them, um, who says that, you know, he was teaching in Kenneth Hagin's ministry when still just a small group of people, and he'd be teaching on healing, and people would get healed sitting there in their chairs just listening to the Word of God being proclaimed. Nobody laid hands on them. Nobody prayed for them. But they just, they got it. They got a revelation about it. The information turned into revelation. They got it. They received their healing even as they were listening. And boom, it happened. And that's possible for you all as well. Stand and pray with me, please. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.